0: Welcome to A Millennial's Guide to Saving the World, with your host, Anya Cates. This podcast has one mission, to rally a generation that's been labeled and groomed as lazy, triggered, and entitled, and invite us all to write a new story. One of a generation that's willing to challenge the status quo, reject black and white thinking, and opt out of each and every repressive system and box that we've been placed in. Above all else, I want to invite millennials to step up to the plate, to be vulnerable in owning our responsibility to ourselves and for walking this planet through the darkest of days. It's time to dream new dreams, write new stories, and create new futures. The great work begins.
1: You know it's so funny, funny for a lack of a better term, and so many people have said this about me too, is the way that you carry yourself, the way that you speak, one would never know that you have some of these thoughts and feelings and insecurities. And as much as you and I have a lot of similarities, in our experiences, there's also the differences. But yet, we share some of those same core thoughts, right? Like, how do I know this person isn't going to betray me? How do I put my trust in this? I mean, you brought up, like, so many things that I was like, oh, yep, that, yep, mm-hmm, I can relate to that. Like, those are so many thoughts and feelings that I go through not just in intimate relationships but even in just like friendships and it's funny how on the outside we can carry ourselves so put together and like be these voices you much more than I to speak about these things but yet we still go through all of these same thoughts and feelings I get everything you're saying, and you are taking huge leaps of faith and lots and lots of transitions. And I admire you for that. Like you have a lot of courage, more than you think you know probably at this moment when it's all feels so heavy. But yeah, and I always think about that. Like, could I do that? If I didn't have the responsibilities and different life things that kind of hold me back in other ways, would I be able to do that? And that's a question that I ask myself often and I don't have the answer to. So the fact that you're doing it, whether it's easy or not, is commendable. And talk about, like, insecurities (laughs) after we recorded. All those things came up, right? I was like, oh my gosh, I, I have disclosed too much about my story and... I, I talked too much. Like, I rambled on and on. And, um, you know, maybe some people won't get that, like, I'm not placing blame. Like, maybe they think, like, I'm really fucked up because I'm like, no, you know, it's not all their fault. Like, I, I was started dissecting everything. And then I was like, Tara, no. This is the first time you've really, like, publicly spoken out. These feelings are normal. It's fine. It's going to be
0: fine. Hey, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the show. That was a message, a WhatsApp message that my friend Tara left me a week or so ago. Tara is this week's podcast guest. And I wanted to play that because, first of all, it's real and raw and vulnerable. And I want to share as much of that as I can on this podcast as possible. Uh, And I think also her message really summarized a lot of what our um, conversation on the podcast was about, but also conversations that we've had quite a bit offline as well. And honestly, conversations that I have offline um, with a lot of people. I've been thinking a lot about community and connectivity and the ways that society and civilization separates us. Um, I always felt like there wasn't anyone else in the world like me. Um, Growing up, I felt super weird and crazy. And um, as I got older, the things I was interested in, I couldn't really find anyone else that was interested in those things. And I made so many decisions in my life, uh, knowing who I was, but just feeling like there wasn't any place for me to fit in anywhere. And so I might as well settle. Uh, I can't tell you how many decisions I made within that framework. And I think even I had, for example, my dad was um, pretty open-minded and shared a lot of different things with me, and I think in many ways showed me that there were cool people out there, but I never experienced them. I wasn't meeting them. The friends who I met were often friends of sort of convenience and location, so like I went to school with them, and so I hung out with them. And um, I had a very sort of bizarre college experience where I also didn't really make friends. I was in a little bit of a different headspace, I feel like, than most college kids, and just really focused on learning and I was working full time and I was living with my boyfriend and I probably could have, find, could, could have found some like-minded people there. Um, but I didn't. And certainly when I graduated, I didn't know where they went. And I, you know, it got to the point where I even thought I was shy and socially awkward because I would go to parties or different events. And I so couldn't relate to anyone that I just sort of became like this mouse. And it was such a crazy thing to reflect on, especially over the past couple of years and finding different people that I really do relate to and who really are on my same page of recognizing like, oh my gosh, I had this entire image of myself. That's totally false. I'm not shy. I'm not socially awkward. I just wasn't in the right places with the right people. And now that I am like you, I can't shut up. You know, I, I I love being around people. I love hanging out. I love, I love talking. It's legitimately my favorite thing. And yet I thought I was shy and alone. And I know because of the conversations that I've had, that there are so many other people that do out there that do the same thing. Um, with Tara, a lot of our conversation is around, like, I wish we lived closer. I wish we could engage in life in a, in a, in a more normal way. And when I say normal, I mean I recognize that so many of the things that keep, let's say, Tara and I apart are these superficialities, you know, their location, their class, their age. Um, in a tribal environment, it doesn't matter, you know, first of all, we'd be together in terms of geography, but it wouldn't matter that Tara 10 years older than me. It wouldn't matter that Tara has three kids and had them really young and I don't have any and don't know if I want to. It wouldn't matter that... Tara's skill set is such that she finds herself in these professional environments and I find myself in these other ones. If we were living in a tribal community, those differences would be non-existent. They would dissolve. And it would make more sense that we shared so many different fears or insecurities or hopes or dreams. Um, And yet we can't connect on those deep levels because there are like these physical uh, separators between us. And, uh, it pisses me off. You know, I, I hate to sound like some sort of conspiracy theorist, but like it all works together. You know, we all are feeding into this capitalist civilized machine that doesn't allow us to recognize that there are other people out there that are like us and that could support us and who we could support. And if we stay far away from each other, we keep making these, choices that are less than what we deserve and what we're capable of. So we just keep feeding the machine. We keep working these shitty jobs. We keep settling for shitty relationships because we don't know any better. We keep thinking that there's nothing we can do in the world. We keep thinking that we shouldn't grieve or confront the potential emotional, uh, Um, issues that are feeding into our physical health problems because that's a scary thing to do alone. So we just stay alone, we stay isolated, we stay lonely, and everyone's unhappy. And I have been feeling, I think, you know, maybe it's because I am leaving LA, I'm moving out of my apartment and traveling uh, semi-indefinitely, and then hopefully if this country doesn't descend into some sort of fascist dictator state, Going to Colorado and starting to build a house, um, and really creating this type of like community that I've been starving for forever. Um, but I think in leaving LA, I'm leaving some friends behind here. I have generated, a, you know, not necessarily an in-person community, um, but a community across the the space of this podcast remotely. And I have such an urge, it's so intense, <laughs> to connect people to one another. Um, it was a huge reason I started this podcast, uh, for selfish reasons, but also for you guys. I can't tell you how many messages I get. I mean, I would say 95% of the messages I get are within that realm. Like, thank you, I feel less alone. I'm so glad to know that there are other people like there uh, out there that feel and think similarly. That's all of you. Like, we're all here together, and the only thing that's separating us is a whole bunch of bullshit. (laughs) Um, So I've been thinking a lot about that, and, you know, I'm going to be at the Motherfucker Awards tomorrow, which I mentioned in my last episode, a really fun event in L.A., and so many of my friends are coming down, and I'm going to be able to introduce some of my friends to my other friends Um, And especially in regard to women, this feels really good for me because I think uh, women thrive in community. And I think in this culture, women are often pitted against each other competitively and don't trust one another, especially when it comes to relationships, sex, intimacy, etc. And so to finally have these women in my life who um, don't subscribe to that to be able to bring them together is really meaningful to me. So wherever you fall on that spectrum, if you just listen to this podcast, uh, please know that there are so, so many people out there who also are listening, who are probably just like you and um, email me and reach out. I I hope to do more like actual physical meetups and, and ways that we can um, come together. Definitely, Um, When I go to Colorado and create this space, the goal is to have a lot of different places for people to stay and hang out. I I think being with one another um, physically is important. I think it's great, obviously, to connect through the podcast and through technology. I think it's imperative, actually. But my big, big hope, this sort of stepping stone that I envision this podcast to be was that we could create a remote community that would then become... A tangible, in-person, physical community. Um, I've always sort of thought about the world in two ways, uh, one being thoughts and the other being places. So ideas and beliefs and spaces in which those ideas and beliefs can actually live. Uh, And when I started this podcast, I didn't start it because I thought I wanted to be a podcaster necessarily. That wasn't like my career goal or my life goal. I just knew that it would be a step in the right direction of where I wanted to go, which was to be in a physical space with other people that felt similarly to me and who I could support and who could support me. Um, And we could all live happily ever after. Yeah, right. That's not going to happen. But something like that, (laughs) live in a pretty space, Uh, because what else can we do in this fucked up world? Um, and on that note too, actually, in terms of my intention for starting this podcast and where I thought it would go, the other thing I really wanted to mention, because it's also a conversation I have with Tara frequently and one that I have with a lot of listeners and friends is about career and life path. I think, uh, especially young people now, especially with the state of the world, we're all kind of freaking out about what the fuck we're supposed to do. I think we have these, you know, obviously divergent, uh, needs, which are one to do something that's meaningful and to do something that's going to make a difference and to do something that's authentic, but also like, uh, we need to pay for our life and live and support ourselves and have a roof over our heads and eat food. Um, and so how do we do those two things? Uh, how do we do the thing we want, but not be poor? How do we make money, but not abandon the thing we want? And how do we know, uh, where the middle ground is? You know, I've, I've definitely, I mean, I don't really make money on this podcast. I I do other things that make me money that give me the free time and ability to do this podcast, uh, which I think is a very nuanced space. I think we can often get trapped in like, well, I'm going to get this part-time job at this cafe because I need to support myself while I do this other thing or build this other thing. But then it just becomes an excuse and an energy suck and we don't actually build the thing, you know? Uh, and I think also people get stuck in like, I really just want to do something meaningful that I'm not going to be humble and get a part-time job to support me. I'm just going to struggle and uh, not be able to live a happy life without any stress because, you know, I'm too full of pride to go get a waitressing job in the meantime, while I build this thing, uh, there's gotta be some middle ground, but I I do think uh, also people are still actually trying to figure out what is meaningful to them. What is their quote unquote life path? And I wanted to bring this up. It's something I think about all the time. And one of the, um, things about astrology that was really meaningful to me when I was embedded within that so heavily uh, was around the topic of career and life path. Um, In the sky, there's a thing called uh, the MC or the midheaven or the medium coli. And technically speaking, it is the spot on the ecliptic. So the ecliptic is the path of the sun in the sky, the part at which it's the farthest from us. So the farthest out ahead, it's not necessarily above our heads, right? The sun's not necessarily above us, but out in front. It's just the farthest place, uh, that the sun gets on its path. And, uh, uh, symbolically, in astrology, that place in the sky, wherever that is in your chart, um, symbolizes what modern day astrologers often call career, but what I think more educated astrologers refer to as life path. Because obviously career is a very modern day phenomenon. We didn't have careers before. We just did what we were good at to support the group. It didn't feel like work. It just felt very ingrained within us. And so if you step away from career and you think about life path, hopefully one's quote unquote life path aligns with their career. And I don't think we're always going to know necessarily what that looks like. I don't think, you know, another actual astrologer actually said to me, it was one of my first readings that I got. She said, you know, maybe you don't know what you want to do because you haven't created it yet. And especially when I used to give astrology readings, but just in talking to people now, people are looking around at other people to figure out what they want to do. Okay, so I see that person. She's cool. I like what she believes in. She has a podcast. I guess I should... Maybe I should do a podcast or maybe I should have this blog or maybe I should start this business or maybe I should start this consulting practice. And I think we limit ourselves by trying to mimic uh, someone else, even if it's only slightly. And so to just sort of step away from that and be okay with not knowing for now and take a step, you know? So for me, I didn't, when I started this podcast, I had the very vague idea that maybe I wanted to buy land. But at the time I thought I was going to go to grad school before then. I thought I'd have to, I thought I was going to buy a plot of land with 80 acres, which is not what I ended up doing and start like some sort of modern day commune, which is not what I'm going to do. There were all these other things that I thought were going to come before The decision I actually ended up making. Um, But I still took the step of making the podcast. How can I create this space where ideas can live and where I can bring people together remotely so that eventually maybe I can do this thing? And I knew that starting the podcast would take time and it would take energy and it would be an investment and it would be vulnerable and scary and it wouldn't be the exact thing I wanted to do in the end, but I had to do it to get to that other place, or at least I felt like it. And not only that, but I can't tell you, I mean, especially after this conversation with Tara, we recorded and then I got in the shower and I had like six or seven different epiphanies about myself, about my own, um, makeup, about who I am, about just a lot of like self-awareness type epiphanies. And I just thought how grateful I am to be doing this quote unquote professional thing, which... Doesn't make me any money, but still. Doing this thing in the public sphere that also is woven so perfectly into my own self-actualization. It's so beautiful. I mean, I know I think counselors, uh, healers of many kinds, if they're aware and conscious and dealing with their own shit, go through this all the time. You know, I, I, I hope in my life to always be able to do something that is both helpful to others And to me at the same time, I think that's what keeps me going. I think that's why even though I make no money on this podcast, why I'm so passionate about it, because I fucking love it. I enjoy it. It doesn't matter to me that I don't make money with it. It doesn't matter to me. You know, if I was doing the same side gigs that I'm doing now to make money, but I didn't have the podcast, I'd be so resentful of them. I wouldn't enjoy them half as much as I actually do. I enjoy them so much because they give me the ability to do this thing. That's so meaningful. So I think those types of things have to go hand in hand. If you can't make a living doing the exact amazing thing that you want to do, make a living some way, some other way so that you can still do the thing you want to do, or at least start it. And it all works together in this cycle. They all feed each other. They all support each other. Um, certainly what I care most about in my non quote unquote professional life is living a meaningful life and learning more about myself so that I can live a meaningful life and be in healthy relationships and do something meaningful in the world. Even if it's microscopic, I care about that so much. And the fact that my quote unquote career allows me to do that is so fucking beautiful. So for anyone, because I know there are many of us that sort of struggle with career and path, I guess mostly I would say, give yourself a break. First of all, don't try to decide what the thing is or figure the thing it what you're going to figure out what the thing is by yourself in time. It's going to be a culmination of all of these different steps that you take. So as I say, in reference to everything, hold on to the energy of the thing Don't worry about the details. Just take a step. Does it feel good? Does it feel good to you? Does it feel meaningful to you? Do you get in the shower after you do it and have a bunch of downloads that you feel super grateful for? That's all you need. Just do that. Read a book. That's one step, you know? Have a conversation with someone. Reach out to someone. Send an email. Have a phone call. Write a journal entry. Write a song. Make a painting. Just do anything that gets you into that sort of energetic flow of where you want to go, and you'll figure it out, and it'll be fine. And don't beat yourself up about it. And definitely don't think about it. It's one thing I'm definitely recognizing about myself, that I work myself into an intellectual, logical, not-where- I can't even feel or touch base with my intuition anymore. I don't even know what the feelings are. I'm just lost in words. So, I love getting out of that place, whether it's in the shower, in the car, whatever. Uh that's where we sort of find the answers, and they won't be answers. They'll just be steps. They'll just be clues. They'll just be pieces of the overall puzzle. So, before this intro gets any wooier Uh, I'm gonna stop talking. (laughs) And, uh, my brain's a little bit of a jello pot right now. Um, I moved the very last things out of my apartment today, which was, uh, the end of an era, let's say. And I don't know if anyone else feels this right now. I'm also, like, going through financials for the past year Um, and that reflecting on the past year in that way, but also like there are just so many people in my life and so many things coming together and converging in a way that's bizarre, uh, and making me really reflect on, on the past year, but also the time that I've spent in Topanga since I moved here. It's just been a lot. It's been overwhelming, not necessarily in a bad way, just it feels heavy. Also not in a bad way. Um, Anyway, that's where I am right now, so I apologize if this intro was like a total rambly, googly mess. Um, enjoy this episode with Tara. If you'd like to support the show, tell your friends. That's the best. Uh, if you hear an episode that you liked and you think you know someone who might like it, send it to them. The other thing that really, really helps and I think also, honestly, feeds into the like the whole uh, making sure everyone else knows that they belong in a community and that we all feel the same way is... You can leave a review of the podcast on iTunes. Uh, Sometimes I just sit there and read them, not to stroke my own ego. There are some that are bad, but mostly just because it makes me feel good to know that there are people that care about the same things as I do. Uh, that even if I don't know them personally, that they're out there, and that makes me happy. So if you are feeling alone, you could just go read the podcast reviews and see what other people feel and recognize that they're probably on the same page with you, either because they like this podcast uh, or they hate it. You'll find whatever you need. Um, but yeah, leaving a review on iTunes is awesome. It it helps people take the show more seriously and actually uh, feel confident about taking the time to take an hour out of their day to listen to a show. Uh, you can also just hit uh, five stars and review it. That helps it um, show up more in search results. And that's it. I will let you listen to this conversation with Tara and talk to you on the other side. All right. I'm here with Tara. This is, this is going to be interesting and exciting. Um, a little bit of background. Tara has been a fan of mine from like since the dark ages of my health and wellness blog. Um, And uh, yeah, I don't actually know if I verbalize this to you, but you're sort of like, you symbolize something for me in a really interesting way where when I decided to kind of ditch my old life of like having this paleo food blog and selling natural makeup and talking about skincare routines to launching a podcast that talks really openly about uh, topics that I feel are much more of interest to me and much more authentic, like sexuality and gender and childhood trauma. I made the distinct choice to not, like, start my Instagram over, but just transform it so that people could see the change of, like, hey, I know I was doing this before, but now I decided to do this before. Um, I'm now I decided to do this now. And like, if you're not into it, leave, if you're into it, great. But like, this is, I'm a real person with like real changes and shit going on. Um, and you were so, you know, gracious in your, uh, support prior. And then that only sort of grew in that transition. Um, and then not only that, so not only did you like do that transition with me, but then we actually, I feel like became friends and met in person which was this whole other thing of having a platform is was always a little bit uh, intimidating. Well, when I decided to do the podcast, I really wanted to make sure that who I was in the public realm was the same as who I was in my private life with my friends. And obviously that didn't mean I was going to like say everything, but I didn't want it to be inauthentic. I didn't want people to meet me and be like, wait, you're like a different person than you claim to be publicly. And so we met for the first time, like a month ago, two months ago. Um, mm-hmm. And that was like a big deal for me. Cause I was like, fuck, like what if she meets me and she's like, Oh God, like, I actually don't like this person. I just like her public image, but I think you still like me, which is okay. really great. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm really, I just have been really grateful for for you and your like openness and, um, I don't know that much about your story, just sort of bits and pieces. Um, But on this show, as I've talked about before, I really like to um, not only like interview authors and, you know, people who have done these big things in the world, but also just like regular people who have confronted really challenging issues in their past. Um, And uh, I like having these people in my life because it makes me feel like if they can accomplish all of these things, then I have no excuse. <laughs> um, and and I feel like you're definitely, you've uh, certainly become one of those people for me. So I really wanted to give you the opportunity to share your story and also have my listeners hear from a really genuine, authentic, real person about real shit that people deal with all the time. So thank yeah. you for all of the above. Sure.
1: Um, geez, where to start, right? <laughs> it's funny because I remember sending you a message when you changed your whole like Instagram theme and went a different route. And I was like, girl, we have so much more to connect on than skincare issues. <laughs> like, <laughs> I love this person. Like, where have you been all this time? And, you know, as much as you've appreciated me, being part of your journey and supportive. I can't thank you enough for being who you are and being willing to share things that other people might not be and to talk about things that are otherwise seen as taboo. It just really paves the way for people that are going through their own little awakening um, to feel connected. And every time I turn on like one of your podcasts, I'm like, this is what I need. This is the stuff that I need to hear. So if I can't find it in my own area, um, at least I know that there are other people out there who share similar thoughts and ideas. So thanks. Yay. Yay. Send it so there. The end. Yes, Happily <laughs> <laughs> <probably> ever after. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs>
0: thanks for tuning in, guys. Yeah. Um, yeah, thanks. And I. that is exactly, I mean, what you said, and I'm sure we'll get into this a lot. A big intention of starting the podcast was, and I've been thinking about this a lot. And I'll probably allude to this more in the intro I record for this episode as well. But just like this feeling of the fact that there are, it's so hard to find like-minded people. Like you can't go on fucking Tinder or like go to a bar and expect to find someone that's cool. You know, like you have no idea. Um, And with the podcast, especially if you let's say organize meetups around it or connect the other listeners, it's like the screening process has already been done. So you can just show up and know that those people are cool because they're you're willing to sit there and listen to me for however long. Um, And that's been so gratifying and meaningful. And I definitely, I made so many decisions in my life based on the fact that I didn't think there were other people like me. <laughs> like, I just thought this is the best I can do. I'm going to settle. Um, And so the fact that the intention I had around the podcast to make people realize that there were other people like them and that they did have more options to hear that back from People like you who are listening and actually get that is really cool um yeah yeah for sure so all right let's let's start let's go back do you want to talk about I want to talk about your past and your childhood and go as deep and long into that as as you want and we can kind of jump off from there all
1: right let's do it So the interesting part probably is that I would say I had what was considered like your all-American semi-white privileged childhood for a good number of years. Um My mother was a stay-at-home mom. My dad owned his own business. I was the first grandchild on both sides. So I was doted on and You know, we had a house in a great neighborhood, Um, have a sister who was four years younger than me. And then the story changed really quickly. And I think that's where my own personal journey began. And what was really instrumental in that was that all the things that I wasn't ever prepared for started happening. So my father was addicted to drugs and I didn't know that as a child, like looking back, I can see like where the signs were and um, things that you don't realize when you're a child. Uh, So, you know, that caused a lot of chaos within the family. I can remember him you know, in and out of rehabs and spending the holidays going to visit him and not really understanding why he wasn't home with us. And then, you know, what happened between him and my mother and the very strained relationship that became to be and having to go to like family therapy and counseling and like hating every second of it as a nine-year-old, not understanding like, why are we here? I hate talking about this you know, that whole thing. Um, Eventually, my parents got divorced. Um, I think I was around 12 or so. And things got really ugly from there. So my dad ended up spending some time in jail. My mother remarried a horrible man. Um, He was very abusive, very abusive to her, very abusive to me and my sister, And at that time, whatever she was going through, she decided her job of being a parent was done. So now myself and my sister are navigating this path where we have one parent who's physically not there and one who mentally and emotionally isn't. And we're living in this house of chaos and I felt responsible for her. She's four years younger than me. So, you know, we'd be left for days on end or whatever the time period was. And I can remember like just scraping together change and, you know, going to Taco Bell or, you know, getting a slice of pizza or whatever it was to make sure that we were taken care of. But it was, it was a lot of responsibility and it was a lot of guilt for somebody who technically you know, wasn't my responsibility, but we were in it together. Right. And from there, I just wanted out and I was allowed to have a boyfriend who was five years older than me.
0: How old were you at this time?
1: 13. Oh (laughs) yeah. So, and that's painful, right? To look back. And now that I have my own kids, like, holy shit, you know, I was just a baby but that was my ticket out like that was my night in shining armor you know like get me the hell out of here and it was allowed like he was allowed to be over he was allowed to stay over because there was no parenting going on fast forward a little bit and i had my first child at the age of 15. And I remember when I told you that you were like, Oh my God, like, I don't even know if I was having sex. Right. (laughs) Yeah. And I remember telling you, I didn't even know what was going on. Like, this is just what you do. You just go along with it. I didn't really understand the concepts around sex. I wasn't even mature enough to for the emotional or the mental piece of it. It was just going along with it. Like, yeah, this is what you do and this is how you get attention. And this is what's expected. And then to have a child at the age of 15, like I was just a child myself. One of the things I can say is that I was always responsible. I was always mature for my age. And so while there were other girls that I went to school with that also had babies. Um, that was like the thing at that time, like in the nineties. The and I, I hate to say that because that sounds like terrible, but there were a lot of girls that were getting pregnant around that age that I was going to school with. And many of them, their parents ended up taking their children or they got taken away by the state. You know, there was a lot of, more unfortunate stories, but I um, always kind of prided myself on being the best parent I could be while still being a child. And then by the time I was 18, I had two, because I, you still don't
0: really know where you're going. And this just became a pattern. Was this the same guy or a different? Nope. Different. I have a question going, yeah. sorry to interrupt, but I want to yeah. talk about also like so I assume you were having sex probably very soon after you met this guy around 13. Yeah. Um, yeah. What was your, I mean, I'd love if you're open to it, like talking mm-hmm. about, cause I'm always sort of thinking about our shame, right. Around sex and how we have these certain ages where we decide we're ready versus not ready. And some of it makes sense to me and some of it doesn't. And some of it seems socially constructed and Um, at the time, like, do you feel like he was taking advantage of you? Do you feel like you really wanted it? Do you feel like you even understood what was going on or that you were pressured to do so from society? Like where, if you can remember, was your thinking around sex at that young age, especially with someone who was older and I imagine had sort of experienced it before.
1: That's a good question. Um, one that I don't think back on a lot because I don't remember. Yeah. You know, like, I'm not going to say I like totally blacked out or anything like that, but, like, I don't remember what I was thinking or feeling during those times. Um, I, you know, it wasn't non-consensual but at the same time what does a 13 year old know and when I look back at from his perspective I'm gonna say that someone who's 18 should have known better but I'm not going to put all of that ownership you know on him um Yeah. I don't, I wish I could answer that. I wish I knew like what was going on in his mind. And for me, it just really was just like following along with what, what was expected. Yes, definitely from him, you know, he's 18. Like that's, that's what you do. Right. Um, But definitely from society too. I mean, all, we were all talking about sex at that age Mm. and you were probably the odd ball out if you weren't in a relationship and doing something. Um, the early nineties were just a weird period of time because I can compare it to my kids and they, I'm not going to be naive to the fact that, you know, kids in middle school um, were having sex, but it was just different. And I don't know if it was, we were going through a really crazy period of time with like drugs in our community too, during the nineties and probably like just a lot of dysfunction within families. And so I wasn't the only one.
0: Yeah. I'm probably talking and, a lot less about it than now as well.
1: Yes. Right. 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 Um, but yeah, that was the expectation, right? Like you, you were the nerd, or you were like the cornball if you weren't talking about these things or doing these things. So, when I say like going along with the flow, like literally, yeah. like, yeah, this is just what you do, and not even having the mindset
0: to be able to handle it. Yeah. So, 18, second kid. Yeah. And at that point,
1: I was close to graduation, but I couldn't finish. Now I had two babies. No one to watch them. So I couldn't finish school. I couldn't work. I didn't have a means of transportation. I didn't have a family support system. And, you know, neither of the fathers were like champs, you know, and stood up to like say, okay, we're going to make sure you're taken care of or take care of our children. So at that point, I would say it was a, it was a real, wake up call. What are you going to do now? You have two little people that are depending on you and you don't even have your own life together. So the only option at that time was to go to a shelter for women with children. And so that's where I ended up. And that was culture shock. Um, the things that happen in those places, are not fairy tales by any means. Um, it's dysfunctional. <laughs> it's corrupt. The people that run it are often corrupt. The people, the residents that are there are not all from the same walk of life. So, you know, I was in a shelter with women that were on the street. I was in a shelter with women that were on drugs that abuse their children literally within that space yeah. um, that were sneaking their drug dealing boyfriends in the back door and stashing massive amounts of drugs in the rooms all while the staff you know turned a blind eye and took donations for themselves and really didn't do like the case management they were supposed to with people so i had to learn to navigate that really quickly and I remember being like set up, like somebody stole somebody's wallet and the next morning it was found in like my kitchen cabinet because we each had like, you know, a cabinet, we had like common areas we had to share and like having to go through like those sort of things. And it was rough. Um, so to get myself out of there all day and also to get myself on the path to A better life. I did everything I could, right? Like, I took my GED. I took my SATs. I enrolled in college. I got a job. I found um, a program to help me afford childcare for the girls so that I could go and work and go to school. And, you know, eventually I did get a car. So I did all these things so that I didn't have to be in that space and so that I could pave a new path for myself and my babies and but I ended up staying there for three and a half years um that's the amount of time it took me not only to save enough money to be on my own but at that time too they were offering people like if you stayed here for a certain amount of time and put your name on a list we would help you find affordable housing but with that you had to stay until your name came up on a list so that's exactly what happened um I stayed there, I did my time so to speak, and then um eventually got my own place. And that was such a breath of fresh air. Like it was the first time in I don't know how long that I had some place that I could call my own. That was safe and um I could afford on my own without having to ask for help or rely on anybody or anything. So that was great. Shortly thereafter, I met someone and he was, he like checked off all the boxes. So coming from being a young girl, um, in dysfunctional relationships with guys who really didn't care or, you know, try to take care of these situations that they helped create here, I just met this guy who had his own place and had a good job, um, treated me really nice, you know, in time and let him meet my kids and was like awesome with them. So I was like, wow, you know, it, this really exists where you can be in a healthy relationship. So I don't know how long it was before um, we ended up living together and he wanted to buy a house. You know, we had been together, I don't know, a year or two, something like that. And I remember being so nervous to do that because I was leaving the one spot that was my own, that I could afford. And I remember having a conversation with him and saying like, are you sure you want to do this? Because this is even a bigger commitment than getting married, right? Like you're on a... 30 year mortgage with somebody and it sounded great. I mean, my girls were going to have their own room, we were going to have our own yard and like this fairy tale white picket fence sort of thing. And he, you know, convinced me and reassured me that like this was the route to go and everything was going to be good. And so I went with it and um we bought the house and renovated it it was gorgeous it was beautiful like life was good and I don't know how many months had been passed but it was it wasn't a very long period of time before things started going downhill very quickly you know it started with like cheating and like emotional abuse um you know, the expectations of everything to be done, like the house had to be perfect and spotless. And, but this was all on you. And I remember um, my sister making uh, a joke saying that my house looked like sleeping with the enemy at one time. And it was probably true. And it was a little bit of like the, his expectations, but also. My OCD with being able to keep something, like to me, that was the opposite of chaos, right? It was something I was able to control. It made my surroundings feel clean and safe and organized, something that I was ripped, that was ripped from me during, you know, my childhood and and teenage years. So it was a little bit of both. But now that I can look back, I'm like, oh, man, that was like so unhealthy. Um, But I didn't realize it at the time. And then it progressively got worse, you know, physical abuse. And um, at the time, I found out that I was pregnant with my son. Also realized that he was getting high and like hardcore. And I found out the same day which was really crazy. Yeah. Like I had already had two babies. Right. So I knew the signs, like I didn't even need to have a take pregnancy (laughs) test. Like I knew I'm like, Oh damn, I'm pregnant. And it was the same day that I was going out of town and he didn't want to come with me because he felt so sick. And I just pieced two and two together, like what had been happening You know, the past couple of weeks, the past couple of months, all the signs, because now it was starting to come back to me, right? Like all of my childhood, like from my own father that I had kind of repressed and held down, like all these signs that I didn't want to notice were there. And in that moment, I realized I was going to have another baby by myself. I just knew it was just that feeling. And my pregnancy was stressful as all hell. Um, and the unfortunate thing was now that I was older, I appreciated it so much more. Like I was doting on every little thing. Like I loved every every milestone and I appreciated it so much. I, I knew like this is going to be your last baby, but like appreciate it because you're so much older now and like you're mature and you understand. And, but then I had this stress of like everything that I was going through with him, but, um, his father and begging him to like get help and bringing him to rehabs you know like, all during my pregnancy and him like just calling me like a day or two later and saying I'm leaving <clears throat> but then he also would like say you know once I had the baby you know that would make everything better and um you know he'd be like this great father and like Please just hang in there with him. So I did. And then once my son was born, the things that, that kind of transpired during the end of my pregnancy and like when I gave birth and shortly after I gave birth, it was just a horrible experience with him. Um, and I made the decision... That I wasn't going to raise another child in dysfunction, especially a boy who was going to have this person as a role model to look up to. I tried to, and you know, anybody who has been in a relationship with somebody who has an addiction problem will know that you can support them all you can, but if they're not ready, they're not ready. And he wasn't ready. And and that was, it was difficult because I knew I was going to have to give up everything that I had worked so hard to create. And it was the trauma of like, I don't want to go back to a shelter. I don't want to give up this home that I've worked so hard to be my safety net. I don't want to bring another child into this world without a father. I don't want a parent again. By myself. And, and what does this mean for me? Like, and now I have nobody again. So stayed probably for longer than I should have for all those wrong reasons. But you know, he was also in my ear telling me too, like, you'll never make it without me and nobody's going to want you with three kids and all that like abusive stuff that you know isn't true, but it still sticks in your mind. Right. Yeah. So I did a short sale on the house. Somehow I got him to sign everything over to me so that I could then take it from there. And uh, mind you, I'd already told him like he had to leave and that, that wasn't fun at all. He, um, he definitely wasn't like a willing participant in leaving. So I did a short sale on the house and um <clears throat> sold everything in the place. Like I just wanted nothing of it to the guy who was buying the townhouse and left with the kids and literally our mattresses and our clothes and found, you know, a place to rent that was semi-reasonable that I thought like, yeah, I can can kind of swing this and start it over. And that's when phase two kind of began. So I was lucky enough um, years prior to get into an entry level corporate position, and worked my way up the ladder. So while it was difficult, um, I was probably in a better situation than a lot of other single moms, with you know, job wise, salary wise. Um, I was still definitely, by no means, you know, like comfortable. It was still like paycheck to paycheck, but I at least was able to keep a roof over our heads, but it was tight. So I was offered a position working second shift because there was a, you know, an extra buffer to do that. And I went with it. And, you know, my daughters helped take care of my son and, you know, like I would take my lunch break and go get him from school and get dinner set and his homework and go back and wouldn't get home until like 10, 11, 12, And I did this for some time and I slowly noticed that I was crashing. Shit ton of anxiety, like through the roof. Like I don't even know how I made it. I really don't. I look back and I I just don't. Um, so anxiety and physical ailments started coming and you and I can relate to this like so much, right? It started with, Cystic acne all of a sudden in my 30s. Like, I never had it as a teenager. I never had it in my 20s. Um, irregular menstrual cycles like crazy. Like, I'd have my period for like three weeks at a time. And then, like, 11 days later, get it again. Um, I was exhausted. I was depressed. It was just like all these physical ailments and manifestations of everything that I was going through on like a mental and emotional level. But I didn't did you know. Like, yeah, yeah. I was going to say, like,
0: did you make that connection at the time? Um, the Yeah. Like, I mean, no. I didn't either. I think I actually, it added to my emotional stress Thinking they were totally, I was like, I'm not stressed, I'm fine, I feel great. Yep. Like, I've yep. got this going, I've got that going. And then that came on board, and it was like, oh wow, great. This is another problem for me to fix. That
1: sure. just added. Yeah. Added a whole nother right. Because then you're like desperate to find out what's wrong with you. I've got it together. I'm somewhat paying the bills. I'm being a mom. I'm doing everything that I was supposed to be doing. So what's wrong with me? There's something wrong with me. So then, like you said, add that to the mix, going down these rabbit holes of trying to figure out what's wrong with you and going from doctor to doctor. And they're giving you like antibiotics and, you know, toxic creams and throwing you on birth control and everything that they want to do just to like fix your symptoms. And it only got worse. So then I took matters into my own hands and started doing a little research. I found you and your blog and, you know, what you were going through with like your skin issues and hormonal issues. And that's really how we connected start with. yeah. Um, and, and yeah, like I changed my diet. I went the whole paleo route. I did some AIP. It um, got rid of a lot of toxins. I did all of that. And, you know, that definitely helped. But I still didn't feel myself. And there still were like, you know, physical symptoms I was dealing with. Got better, but not completely resolved. And then fast forward a little bit to last year. Actually, before that, (laughs) for some months prior, I was feeling a lot of pain in my lower back my lower right side had been going on for now that I look back like well over a year, but substantially for like six months. so like the summer of 2018 and I had kidney stones quite a few times and it felt very similar. So that's what I thought it was. So I went to the doctors, you know, the, I don't know if I had like a a CAT scan, or an ultrasound, or an X ray, whatever it was, and nothing. I saw nothing with my kidneys, and I'm like, "Well, something's wrong," because this is like the same feeling, and it's it's painful. No, 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 nothing's wrong with you. Like, maybe you pulled uh, something in your back. Maybe you did something to your back. No, I didn't do something to my back because then my back would be hurting all the time. This is just at night, like it would wake me out of my sleep. Mm. And it got to the point where around three, four in the morning, I would shoot up out of bed in such pain and I wouldn't be able to lay back down. Like if I tried to lay back down, that pain was searing. So I'd have to prop myself up against my headboard and just like close my eyes and hope that I could fall back to sleep for the last couple of hours or whatever it was. And in my mind, I'm like, this is not normal. Like something is wrong. Went back to the doctors again, gave me some strong painkillers, still attributed it to something I had done to my back. And then I found myself one night in the middle of the night, I woke up and I was in so much pain, I couldn't stand it anymore. And now I've had three babies, one of them naturally, with no pain medication or anything. By the way, that wasn't a choice. <laughs> that <laughs> happened really fast and was like a really screwy situation. Um, But that I've had kidney stones, which people, some people say are like even worse than giving birth. So I've been through like these painful experiences, but this was freaking painful. So I drove myself to the emergency room. Before I left, I told my daughter um that I was going. And she's like, do you want me to drive you? And I was like, no, I don't, you know, I don't want my son to stay by himself. So... You know, stay with him because I don't even know what's going on yet. And then when I get to the hospital, I'll let you know what's going on. Went to the hospital. They did some tests. They thought it was like intestinal or digestive. A specialist came in. He's like, no, it's not that. So the attending physician in the ER looked at me and he's like, well, I don't know what to tell you. And I was like, well, something is wrong. I mean, you've just done a CAT scan where like it's showing something's going on. You just don't know what. And I'm in pain. I've been in pain for months. So it's your job to figure it out. And I felt so defeated in that moment. I really almost just threw in the towel and drove myself home. But something in me told me, like, Tara, don't, don't give up like this, this you're in the hospital. Like, this is like your last chance to kind of like figure this out. Like, hold your ground. So he was really nasty and he's like, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to just admit you for like no reason? And the nurse who kind of was catching on by now that I was in serious pain and that he was being like a complete a-hole was like, hon, that's probably the best thing to do. (laughs) That was like, yeah, you know what? Admit me like, like I'm getting pleasure out of this. You know what I mean? Like, like, I don't want to go home and just live my life regularly. Like I want to be going through this. And it was also sad too, because I see how they treat people. Like I see how they treat females and uh, how they treat people that they think like, just want like a hit of morphine or whatever the deal is. And, you know, you think about like black women and all the statistics around that and being denied medical care. And it's just, it's a screwed up situation, but all those things were going through my mind. So I went upstairs on some random floor with some random physician who was literally just overseeing that floor. And it was just like a hodgepodge floor where they just put anybody that they didn't know what was going on. And this guy, this physician literally saved my life. He walked in, he looked at everything from the past six months and I remember him like chuckling. He's like, So they say nothing's going wrong, uh, going on with you, correct? So I'm like, yeah, that's, that's it. He's like, something's definitely going on, you think? And I was like, yeah. Have you ever had an MRI? Like, no. As a matter of fact, that's what I've been asking them to do for months because it's the one thing that there isn't any like real radiation involved. So he orders the MRI and he says he's going to do an MRI on my spine. My spine. I'm still thinking like it's my kidneys or something. And he's, Like, yeah, you're fine. Okay. Went downstairs, MRI. It was the most painful, craziest experience of my life. Because by then, pain meds had worn off. You had to stand, like, lay still in this tube for an hour. And I remember, like, counting backwards, biting my cheek, thinking of different dog breeds, like, whatever I could to take my... Uh, mind off the pain and when they pulled me out of the MRI and sat me up now looking back I know it was like the nerve but I didn't know then it was the most pain I've ever been in my life and I couldn't let anyone touch me like they were trying to put me in a wheelchair I I couldn't let them touch me. I couldn't sit down. I could barely stand. Like there was nothing anyone could do in that moment. They're like calling codes, trying to get anesthesiologists to come down and like give me something for pain. It was crazy. I finally got back upstairs and the doctor came in and he's like, I know why you're in so much pain. And um, it's because you have a tumor in your spine. I didn't even know what to think. Like I didn't, I wasn't shocked. I didn't cry. I just didn't know what to think. You know, is this cancerous? Like, am I going to live? Like all of these things going through my mind in this very short period of time. And he looked at me and he's like, I, this is not my specialty. And I can't even begin to tell you what, what's going to happen, but I've already called in a specialist and he'll be here to see you tonight. The point of this is, this past year, I've been looking back and wondering, they have no answer for this tumor. They don't know why, how, they know it took years to to get to the size that it was, but they have no answer for it. They don't know why it grew. Um, You know, I don't have any genetic issues that causes my body to produce tumors. And I can't help to think, that there may be a correlation between the stress and the trauma and the grief and all of those things with my body doing something seriously wrong. And that could have been producing tumor cells. I don't know, but I know it's something definitely to think about and the importance of how mental and physical and emotional stresses can manifest into real physical diagnosis. So um, I'm happy to say that I'm in the clear. um, The tumor ended up not being cancerous. Thank God. And they also didn't know like what would happen with the surgery because it this tumor was literally in my spinal cord growing out of a main nerve. So there were very high risk chances of it being uh, the type of thing that could have caused paralysis or loss of bladder function. Uh, there were so many things. Um, and I remember the three weeks between being diagnosed and going to surgery were the best three weeks that I can remember ever having. And some people probably won't understand that. Sure, it was tremendous amount of stress and a lot of unknowns. But in those three weeks, I literally had to relinquish complete control over my life. Whether I was going to live or not, whether I was going to be able to walk again or anything. All I could do was be present and spend massive amounts of time with my children and it was the first time in so long that I slept ate three meals a day rested um you know just like normal things that when you are running ragged for so long for so many years you don't even realize that you're not doing and I (laughs) I'll never forget those three weeks And everything that I've learned since, it's literally rewired my whole being for the good, for the better. Um, I've learned so much about myself, about other people, the environment. I mean, everything from conditioning to awareness to the whole nine. Um, So it really was a life-changing experience for me.
0: I have so much to say and ask. I don't know where to begin. Um, I guess the first thing, maybe I've mentioned this to you in the past. I remember at one point, before I was ready to confront my health issues as manifestations of my emotional mental situation, I read this book, Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers. Have you heard about this?
1: I have heard of it. I haven't read it. (laughs)
0: Um, It's quite good. I forget who the author is, but he talks about, it's all about stress. And he of course, at that point in my life, I don't think I realized I had any. Um, and I think a lot of it, because a lot of it maybe wasn't even surface level. It was like anxiety and trauma that my body was just holding from my childhood that I wasn't remotely keyed into. Um, but I remember there was a section where he talked about kids who were kept in some sort of really terribly, like abusive, malnourished state, like living together without, um, you know, any parents or love or nurturance or whatever, the whole point of this was like, they were under such stress that they stopped growing that like, because of their external situation that they stopped growing. And I remember thinking like, okay, so if stress can keep you from growing, then like whatever works, like no wonder I have acne, (laughs) like, you know, like it, it all of a sudden sort of made sense to me. But I also think you know, how many people, it's like, we're so, we so want to believe it's just this external issue or a problem that can be solved because the moment we say, oh, this physical manifestation may be related to some sort of emotional or mental piece. It means we have to deal with the emotional or mental piece, you know? So yeah. I'm I'm curious with you, like, had the stuff with your health, like, were you sort of all Like at what point, and I'm sure it was a journey for you, but was there a moment where you really confronted the extent of the stress and trauma on your body and it was like, it hit you like a ton of bricks or was that like a sort of gradual unfolding of like, maybe these problems are manifestations of something
1: else? Mm -hmm. Uh, A little bit of both. After the whole like accystic acne, you know, anxiety, menstrual irregularities, um, I realized that there was something more to it. So, you know, in addition to like changing up my diet and using safer products, um, I started to pay more attention to the emotional and mental, mental piece of it. But it wasn't until I was diagnosed with the tumor that I really was like, Holy shit. Like these are things that I need to deal with because there's no answer for this. And not only that, I just had a life and death experience, right? There's a quote um, that I just saw today that I knew was like perfect for us having this conversation. And, um, The quote is joy at the smallest things comes to you when you have accepted death. And in accepting that I didn't have control over what the outcome would be. I realized that dealing with a lot of the stuff that I had repressed was going to be key in me healing, not only from the tumor, but also going forward and creating like a brand new rewired life for myself post-surgery. Because one of the things that I realized was I didn't want to go back to the way that I was living.
0: Yeah. Did did a lot of this come on your own? Like were you ever in therapy at all? Or were a lot of these realizations about your past and all of this sort of You found them yourself.
1: That's a funny question. (laughs) I um, I had a really bad experience with therapy, and that from my childhood, Mm. it was um, a very traumatic experience for me. So I was always dead set against like I'm not going back into like a a therapy setting. Um, But I did at the time that I was like going through the whole acne thing and everything, because at that point I was literally at like one of my lowest with like anxiety and depression. I was like, I, something's wrong here, but she didn't make me feel any better. Um, you know, if anything, she convinced me to get on antidepressants and it made me feel like something was wrong with me. There was, but not in the way that she was defining it. And it was still really painful at that time to bring up the past. And I just remember like crying and crying and crying in each of those sessions. And it got to the point where I was like, I don't know if this is doing any good for me. I don't know if I'm getting anything out of this. So I took a step back. And by all means, I'm not convincing people not to, you know, go to therapy for me personally at that time, I think it was a little too traumatic. And so then I just kind of had to take matters into my own hands. So after the tumor, it was a lot of just self-awareness, a lot of going back in time and dealing with things, a lot of awareness for things I hadn't processed. Um, You know, I started following some therapists online And, you know, some of their stuff resonated with me more. And then I kind of took it and like, instead of sitting in this session, like face-to-face with somebody who was telling me everything that was wrong with me, I would just take pieces and just kind of relate to it and take it from there.
0: Yeah. And I I think too, I mean, you know, therapy and healing, like what I, I hope people embrace more is that there are so many different modes of that, you know? Like, I feel like psychedelics is a really big thing now. Like, that's the key. That's the secret weapon. And you do psychedelics and you figure everything out. Like, that I totally buy that that's the case for some people. For me, it was like grief. And the only way that I got to the grief was the fact that I had these health issues that forced me. You know, that was one of the first realizations I had was like, if I didn't have these pro these physical issues that were making me like spend large chunks of time <laughs> by myself or like miserable or isolated like I would probably just go off and try to do one of the many things I was good at to distract myself from the thing that was causing the health issue in the first place you know it was like I had to at some point accept that as painful and terrible as this thing was that it was actually, like, a gift that I should use, Um, and that, for me, was the ticket to greater self-awareness. I think, like, psychedelics are for other people, or, like, therapy is for someone else. Um, So, yeah, I totally get that. Um, How do you, how have you confronted because I feel like for the amount of pain that you've been in since you or the amount of trauma and pain that was like that you experienced on behalf of other people, especially um, I'm always, to always taken aback by your sort of like level of like humility and graciousness and that you don't play the blame game. Like this person did that to me. This person did that to me that you seem very willing to sort of consider your participation in things, even probably far before you should have been expected to have any level of self-awareness. Um, can you talk about that process? Like, was that a journey for you? Did you have a phase of being really angry and blaming people? Um, or how have you worked on, like, I think uh, in order for us to all make different decisions, we have to recognize our role in a thing, but I wonder how difficult or challenging that's been for you.
1: Yeah. And that's part of this whole awareness that I mentioned, like post tumor where I've just seen life in such a different lens. And, and for that, it's a gift um, to be able to have your life handed back to you, but be able to see it with this like newfound awareness and what I realized is, you know, from social conditioning and, you know, my childhood, my upbringing, all of my experiences, it was almost like I was jaded, right? Um, I didn't trust people and I was quick to pass judgments on people, all, all of these things. And what I realized was there is so much trauma just from simply trying to exist in the space that we're in right now at this moment in time and that there's so many people that have their own bucket. So I look back to my parents and where absolutely they have responsibility in the ways that things played out for myself and my younger sister. I try to look at the trauma that they endured or, um, you know, some of their own emotions and weaknesses and what have you. Same thing with the men that have been in my life. You know, um, I can see where almost every significant person that I've had an intimate relationship with has had their own traumas and griefs. And so I think that helps me in being more understanding to not just quickly placing all of the blame and playing this resentful, hateful game. Because it's that that isn't going to do anything for me at this point either. Um, I definitely won't sugarcoat it. Um, won't say that, you know, none of these people did any harm to me or, you know, had an impact on whatever has transpired, but I'm more understanding. And there's definitely more of an awareness, not just with them, but even people that I see out and about, um, employers and people in the park, just like observing how people react.
0: And yeah, it's
1: just this, awareness that i am just so grateful for having now
0: yeah and it's nuanced right because i think we probably all some of us will get stuck in like you know well it's not this person's fault that they're acting like this or they've had all these issues or traumas in their life um but then also not set a boundary and not protect yourself right so it's like you have to do both things yes you have to like (laughs) which is hard because then it's like oh shit like even though this person's hurting me And maybe even though they're not going to admit that I'm going to hurt them, like I have to leave this situation and protect myself, which can be really hard when you're, yeah.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, because then it brings up like codependency and things like that. I've always felt guilt for leaving a dysfunctional situation. Yeah. And I'm finally at the point now where I can say, you know, no, (laughs) it's, It's okay to put yourself first and it's okay to still even say that you have love for somebody, but not be part of their life. Yeah.
0: And what are you, I mean, this is probably a difficult question, but in looking back and like knowing all the choices, like a lot of our conversations um, have a lot to do with the, uh, where you are now in your life Um, in terms of like, you have kids that you need to support and, um, you need to have a job that (laughs) pays for you to live and sort of struggling with like, I, you know, I want to do all of these meaningful things, but I don't have the capacity to, and where's the balance between that and, um, like, in terms of regret, or like, do you ever feel any of that, or like, wish you'd made a different decision, or how do you integrate those things now um, without getting like lost in just like guilt and blame around the choices that you made?
1: You're bringing up such good stuff, Anya. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I try.
1: Um, that has been something honestly until just up until very recently that I've struggled with the shame around some of my decisions, um, or experiences, you know, some of it wasn't my decision. Um, but also, um, regret, um, for some of the decisions that I made with who I did when I did that sort of thing. And, what I realized is holding on to those thoughts keeps me in a very stuck space. This is what it is. And this is the path that I went down or that was presented before me, however you want to view it. And really, so it's for me taking what I can from all of those experiences and deciding how to move forward and creating just a very new path. And it is hard, right? It's hard for anyone, but especially a single mom to have these visions of this healing journey and doing things so differently and like opting out of all of these oppressive systems but not to have the resources or the support or the system to be able to do so. And that's kind of where I found myself recently is having like all this awareness, all these ideas, which I'm so grateful for, but kind of feeling stuck in how to make those things possible and moving forward, because you do have to consider that I can't just, say, okay, I'm going to wipe the slate completely clean and start over and do things like completely different because I, I still am responsible for creating stability and uh, supporting my children. So there's that seesaw of self-care mixed with responsibility and trying to go like a completely different route. And you and I have talked about that at length on a number of occasions. Um, I don't have the answers. And that's been difficult, too, is trying to realize, like, you don't have complete control over this. You just have to be open to the opportunities and find ways to make it happen the best you can. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's another thing I appreciate you too. I think I like you, when, before we started recording, I was sort of telling you about what the next few months of my life is going to look like. And it's like traveling all around the world and doing all of these things. And I'm always like, I always feel guilty about talking to people about certain people, at least about that, because it's like, I know I have this, this privilege. I mean, just on a base level of like, I don't have kids. I mean, obviously there's benefits of having kids that I don't have and whatever, but there's a privilege and freedom in the fact that I don't both financially and just in terms of my schedule. Um, And there's a couple people, I feel like, like you in my life who are in very different situations, but who, you know, there's a lot of anger I think at like well I don't have that type of opportunity so like fuck you for talking about it or fuck you for doing it and and I guess what I've always felt is like but because I have the opportunity I better fucking do something with it like if I have this privilege I better use the privilege like what sense is it to not take advantage of what's in front of us and you know, my hope is that even for people who are in a different situation that they are inspired by that, at least on some level. Um, and I've always really been sort of taken aback by how, you know, you are not in this situation and yet super enthusiastic and, um, supportive, which has really meant a lot to me and made me more comfortable, like talking about this stuff openly.
1: Uh, I love that you can go and do those things. Yeah. Um One of the things I can say is I still have a lot of love in me, <laughs> and for other people too. So it's it's like there's no hater type situation here. I'm happy that you're able to do what you're doing, and the fact that you're sharing it with the world is fantastic. You know, because for the people like me, and you know, other single moms, or it's just not just single moms. There's so many people that. Don't have those opportunities for different reasons, um, they can still feel connected. And you're still doing things that inspire on so many levels. And it always gives me ideas too. You know, like, oh, like she just set up podcasts on this topic or whatever it is. It it helps me to think about that stuff more. Um but you bring up something very real here. And it's something I've thought about for a real long time. When I started my whole health and wellness and spiritual journey, a lot of the people out there were the people that were married and stay at home moms and going out and getting facials and massages. And I'm like, shit, like I can't relate to you guys. Like please don't tell me what I should be doing at the end of the day to focus on self-care when like, I can barely get a shower and a meal before I'm like dropping into bed. Um, I don't have the extra funds for these different things. I don't have the time for these different things. And people will say, well, like it's all how you manage your funds and all what you do with your time. Yes. And no, I think we all have choices when it comes down to certain things But for people that are really struggling just on a day-to-day basis, they're not going to be able to relate to somebody else's ideas of self-care. Yeah. So I've gone through that angry period of time where I'm like, no, like you ladies don't get it, (laughs) you know, and I can't relate to you and that really sucks and I've thought about that in my, with my own self and like, well, how do I create something possibly then for like people who have similar experiences to me to feel more connected or to give them resources where they can kind of create a different kind of life for themselves. So I'm spinning in that arena myself. Um, but I realized that being angry or resentful to people who have it different, isn't going to get me anywhere. I mean, I just have to be, I just have to keep fighting the fight and find different ways and it takes time and it takes being creative and it takes patience, but.
0: Well, I'm definitely in support. I mean, I think it's also, that's such an area that I, you know, a lot of the re like, I don't think I'm going to, or I don't think I want kids myself, but I'd really love to help raise kids. And it's like, I, I, I'm unclear of what difference individuals can make in the grand scheme of things other than directly influencing those people around them. And I think like we're all going to die and the people are going to take over this world are the children. So it's like at the very least, whatever kids are around me, like, I don't want to pass this shit on to them. Um, and I think for you, like that would be such a valuable, like, I'm not sure, I'm sure you talk relatively openly with your kids about all of this stuff. Um, And I think having like a space where parents feel safe relating to each other on these levels, but also talking about how to have those conversations with their kids is like the most vital thing I can think about. Um
1: for sure. I mean, they're definitely a driving force behind this. I mean, some of it is in my own journey and wanting to do things differently, um, but also looking at them. I don't know that you and I are ever going to see like this whole system burn to the freaking ground and be recreated and in, in a different way but what I can do is pass some of these thoughts and awareness onto my children and and try to show them a different way. You know, I want them to do what makes them happy. Um, but I can at least model that, um, for them and hope that they take whatever pieces they do from it and just wish for like a better future. But talking to other parents, And even working with kids directly, like you said, you know, yes, I do have my own, but I have a special place in my heart for kids. I mean, there are kids, it's not just grownups that are suffering from trauma and grief and stress and dysfunction and, you know, the bullshit of all these systems. It's the kids too, right? And they grow up to become these adults that are carrying all this baggage (laughs) with them.
0: And Uh, they're really good at hiding it as we all were. It's just like, that's why, you know... I used to think like, oh, like I'm so smart and intelligent and I can do all these things and I can be the parent. Like, isn't that great? Until I realized like, oh, that was trauma. <laughs> like I'm, I'm a gifted child because I was a traumatized child. Okay. Um, absolutely. And like letting kids be kids. Anyway, sorry to interrupt you. I just totally. No, no, no. Totally it's, late. it's
1: absolutely true. Like the coping skills in children is, and their resiliency is insane. Um, but it's also sad because, you know, they they do take these things on. They bury them deep inside and they come out. And I, I just, I'd love to do something in the future just with kids and working around some of these things. I don't know exactly what that will look like, but um, yeah,
0: that would be I fun. love it we should we'll we'll have to record another episode in a year (laughs) okay but yeah we haven't talked about working with kids I think that's another really interesting idea of how to sort of share your experience and knowledge and help people I love kids I wish I could just hang out with kids most of the time honestly
1: me too I'm like can I just stay (laughs) home and cook and like
0: do things to kids it's like do we have to have another adult conversation I just want to go braid hair <laughs>
1: yeah, yes <Let's> real.
0: <laughs> yes for sure um well okay I, I mean obviously we could talk for hours upon hours yes. but I've taken lots of your time um so one question is uh where can people find you um and if you live in the northeast and you have a similar story to Tara want to connect be friends. <laughs> <Yay>! <laughs> we, need, friends. We, we need to all find these freaking connections and stop feeling so isolated. Um, yeah. So where can people find you? And then if there's one book that you could recommend to the listeners um, that's really helped you or been influential for you, what might that be?
1: Mm-hmm. So on Instagram, um, my handle is Tara, T-A-R-A-H dot Natalie, Not, just Natalie, N-A-T-A, L-I-E. Um, I don't have a website or anything like that at this time, but, you know, stay posted.
0: Nor do I really, so <laughs> that's fine.
1: Um, but yeah, absolutely. If you resonate with any of this story, I'd love to hear from you or connect. And uh, on to your book thing. I kind of cheated because <laughs> I've been following your podcast since the <laughs> beginning. So I knew this question You came prepared. prepared. um so if again if any of this story resonates with you some of the books along the way I don't have just one but the body keeps the score is one that kind of relates to a lot I was talking about today um when the body says no by Gabor Mate um two that I got from you uh the smell of rain on dust and also The Wild Edge of Sorrow. Those are two yes. Anya Rex <laughs> that are amazing books that go hand in hand with a lot that I discussed today. But my book of choice, um, is something so different. I typically read, um, nonfiction and like health and wellness and self-awareness and things like this. But when I was home after the surgery, I just wanted to be taken away to like a different world, you know, I was like inside these four walls for months, um, with very limited, uh, interaction or able to move or anything like that. So one of the books that I got was called children of bone and blood by Tomi Adeyemi. And it's this young adult of fantasy and it's, she likens it to like a black Panther with magic or, um, like, similar to modern day black experience, but in a fantasy world sort of way. And it's about these villages and clans. Have you read it? I haven't. Okay. <laughs> um, they're possessed by magical powers and the monarchy comes in and takes away their powers. So it's this like power struggle and there's love and there's magic. And it just, it was an amazing takeaway. Like I felt like I was living with them in these villages. I'm like, just take me there for real. Um, the cool thing is, it's book two is actually coming out on December 3rd. So it's
0: series and they're turning it into money Amazing. Yeah, like yeah. hunter gatherer tribes and magic. Like, yes, Yes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I know. I was like, oh my God, this is great. This is what I need right now. Enough of the help yeah. and thought yeah. stuff. So it was
0: a pretty cool book to read. That's awesome. I'm glad. I love when people recommend uh, fiction yeah yeah I agree I, I get very stuck in nonfiction, and then I like read a story I'm just like oh thank god this is such a relief <laughs> I don't have to sit here yes. with a pen
1: <laughs> right right and take notes
0: yeah. <laughs> I mean I still do but it's like a different kind of thing it's like ooh, that's inspiring not like yeah something else anyway okay thank you so much thank you for having me of course uh I'm really glad we were able to do this Thanks. and talk soon all right Hello again. Thanks for listening to that episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, by the way, the song that I played in the intro behind Tara's message was called Dari, Dari, D A R Y, by o- Omar Sosa and Seku Keita. Keita? <laughs> I don't know. Um, I will put it in the podcast description, as I always do. Um, I do have a Spotify playlist, by the way, for anyone that's interested of all the songs that I've put on the podcast, so you can subscribe to that if you like the songs. Um, I'm going to play you out today with a blast from the past. Are you guys ready for this shit? Uh, I'm going to play Let Go by Fru Fru. Fucking amazing. <laughs> Uh, I used to be really obsessed with that album and, um, I think there might be a song or two, which I like better than this one, but let go just kind of felt applicable to today's show. So that's the one I'm going to play. Um, if you want to support the show, as I mentioned, please send an episode to your friends, rate and review and subscribe on iTunes. I always forget to say subscribe, but that also helps if you just hit the subscribe button. Plus it works to your advantage because you know when I release a new episode and you don't have to go and look for it. Lastly, uh, my other podcast, uh, that I launched recently, we have two episodes. It's called Whore Rapport, R-A-P-P-O-R-T. It's a podcast that I host with my friend, Aaron, um, uh, a place where I will be focusing or we will be focusing on everything sex and anything that is related to sex. um we did two episodes so far the introduction, the second one was about sexual orientation. um Aaron is coming down for the motherfucker awards tomorrow, so we're gonna record more episodes. uh we were planning on releasing one about um, masculinity and femininity next, but we might do kind of like just an impromptu what's in our minds right now episode. I think we want to talk about the connection between sex and death. Uh, some convergences in our life around those things that we've been talking about since we met each other. But lots of really cool episodes planned. Um, We're going to be talking about non-monogamy and uh, as I mentioned, gender and power dynamics and stuff about bodies and female friendships and abortion and goes on and on Um, for now it's just conversations between the two of us but we hope to bring guests on at some point especially to talk about issues that we don't feel we could talk about from a place of intelligence or experience uh, such as sex trafficking or sex work etc so Horror report available wherever you listen to podcasts Um, would love to hear everyone's thoughts on that and same deal if you want to support that show uh, subscribe leave a review rate it and that's it uh, enjoy, uh, this, uh, Blasphemous Past song, and I will talk to you next week. I have a really, really, really special, amazing episode for next week that I'm just going to leave you hanging on, but it's going to be a good one. And I'm really excited. So all good things. Um, if you, any of you happen to be in, uh, Thailand or Maui, that's where I'm going to be um, over the next couple months, spending a week in Hawaii mid-December and then heading on to Thailand and maybe Laos and maybe somewhere else in Southeast Asia. But if you're in any of those places, um, send me an email, AnyaKatz, K-A-A-T-S at com, and let's get together and connect. Love you all. Talk to you next week.